Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, platform musicians. Amen. How many are ready to hear from the Word of God this morning? Amen. Amen. Again, I count it a privilege uh, on behalf of my pastor to be able to minister to all of you this morning. If you have your Bibles, if you could turn with me to the book of Exodus, uh, chapter 16, 1 through 5. Familiar portion of Scripture, Exodus. Chapter 16, 1 through 5. This might be a little random, but I feel like I should say it. How many know hell is hot? Hell is hot. And you know, this has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon, by the way. I just, you know. But I was, you know, you know in the gym... And you know, there, you know, I call myself, you know, trying to lose, trying to lose a little weight, right? And you know, I said, I said, well, you know, I know the key is to stop eating, but you know, at the end of the day, you know, I went, I went, you know, you ever been in the sauna, those saunas, in them gyms? And I'm sitting there, man. I'm just trying to see how long I can go. And the only thing I kept thinking about wasn't losing weight, but hell. I'm looking at them rocks and how they on fire, how I can't breathe how the window's fogging up, but the hope was that I can get out and walk out the door. And I was just thinking, man, there's people in hell, and on a serious note, that are going through some stuff for eternity, and they don't have no door to walk out. So I want to just put that as a reminder, if you ever think about going back there. Exodus chapter 6, uh, Exodus 16, 1 through 5. In 2004, there was a young man, pretty much in, in short, out of his mind, in his sin, not living for God. Wasn't until a friend moved to Virginia uh, in the summer of 2004, was working in the shipyard, began to tell this young man, hey, maybe you should come up, try something different. I can rig you up a resume, get you in the shipyard, uh, you know, you can make about $23 an hour, you can have per diem, etc. Da, 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 da. This young man was happy, he never made that much money at all in his life. He moves up to Virginia with $35 in his pocket and two suitcases. Gets here and he gets the job in a couple of months. Uh, the first day on the job, not, not even 15 minutes, he gets fired because he didn't know his job. He storms out of the shipyard, walks down Warwick Boulevard mad, goes into this bachelor pad where there was three friends of his that they all shared a, a bedroom or one bedroom and they all slept on them sectional couches. Bust in, had his heart, had his gear on his friend. Hey, you supposed to be at work. He said, I got fired and I'm about to catch a greyhound back home. The friend tells him, no, man, you, must, you, know, you need to stay. There must be a reason why uh, that you're here in Virginia. I don't know what it is. A couple weeks later, he has a counter with God in that same apartment when he gave his life to Jesus, was living for God, didn't have a church, but just really on fire for God, zealous. Eight months later, this same apartment uh, begins, it burns down. Here it is. He has nowhere to go. And he's getting ready to go back home as this new person that all his friends and family heard about that was saved and changed. And something whispered in his ear. 
And the devil said, oh, you were saved in Virginia. People knew about the changed life in Virginia. But now you're about to go back to the familiar. You're about to go back to the same familiar friends, the, the same familiar people. Let's see, uh, Mr. Saved Man, if you can live for Jesus now. Three months later, he goes back. He's doing well. He's telling friends about Jesus. But slowly but surely, begin to backslide. All the things that God delivered him and separated him from, uh, these things that uh, he began to do back over that God set him free from. That young man was me. And, you know, I begin to think about this church. Because one of the most devastating things that the enemy will indeed use to tempt you and I is to entice you to go back to what's familiar. The old ways, those old desires, those old lifestyles, those old attitudes, those old selfish ways, in a nutshell, it would entice people to go back to the familiar. Now, I want to preach a sermon of hope and just a reminder this morning. Now, I want to preach a sermon I've entitled Leaving Egypt Behind. Leaving Egypt Behind. You see, the truth of the reality is that all of us uh, have an Egypt. Come on, somebody. That we all have an Egypt, and perhaps uh, for some this morning, uh, you the reality is you never left Egypt. Perhaps you're still there. But either way, uh, the adversary, Satan, is always in the business of keeping us in Egypt or tempting us to go back. And I want to minister to you again this sermon I've entitled Leaving Egypt Behind. Because we read about a people like myself in so many senses, was delivered, but now they desire to go back. Exodus chapter 16, 1 through 5. And they journeyed from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day on the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. The whole congregation of the, uh, of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we did not die by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day uh, that I may test them uh, whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall be on the sixth day uh, that they shall prepare what they bring in and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. Let us pray, church. Oh, Heavenly Father, God. God, I ask God, Lord, that you will move upon us and help us, God. God, I pray, God, you administer to us, God, on the importance of, of staying the path, uh, to walking on the narrow road. Uh, God, help us not to look back uh, to the familiar, God. Uh, go, I ask that you will help us, God, uh, that you will cover our minds, God. Um, oh, God, that we will have dominion over this flesh. Um, oh, God, that we will cast all imaginations down. Uh, oh, God, we ask, God, help us, God. Uh, to not look back at the familiar, those familiar things, God, in which we were bondage to. Uh, I ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Uh, and all God's people said amen, amen. and amen. 
I want to look at first looking back at the familiar. I mean, there's a reason why people look back. There's a reason why people look back at their old life, if you will, or the what's familiar. Here it is, Moses. We know the story prior. Moses returns to Egypt by the direct hand of God, or, or, you know, to deliver God's people from the mighty hand of Pharaoh. We know the story. Moses goes in um, beginning uh, to, de- to, de- to declare God's uh, uh, wanting uh, to re- for him to release um, his people. Pharaoh denies this request because he's hard-headed. Um, we know the rest of the story. Um, God delivers the people uh, of Israel. Um, he begins to split the sea. Uh, they get across. Um, and we know that uh, Pharaoh and the, and, and the chariots, they come uh, chasing the Israelites. Um, and God closes the sea and swallows them up. And here they are. Freedom at last, uh, they're there. The Bible says they're there. Uh, you know, they just escaped uh, their slave masters in Egypt. They just witnessed the mighty hand of God uh, swallow up the enemy. Uh, and here they are, they're praising and singing songs. Uh, how many know you'd have been praising and singing songs too? And then the common disease happened that happens to all of mankind. They begin to complain. How many know that's a disease? Here it is, uh, the, you know what happens or what seems to be common to man. Uh, they begin to complain. Uh, they went from singing and praising to complaining very quickly. Verse 3, and the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we have that would have died by the hand of the Lord of Egypt, where we sat by pots of meat and ate bread and we were full. You know, the journey back to our familiar typically starts with where a person begins to complain at. When you begin to complain about your current situation, when you begin to complain about circumstances and various different things, uh, how many know it is right here uh, where the enemy gives Israel, oh, they're complaining again. uh, Oh, let me see if I can entice them to come back to the familiar. Complaining about life situations instead of trusting God and being grateful about where you're at. How many know it's a quick highway? To get us to, to be tempted to look back at the familiar. How many know it is here where we need to trust God? Can you say amen? I mean, the Israelites, for crying out loud, they just witnessed uh, a whole sea uh, being split uh, and men being swallowed up. Uh, how many of you would have thought that would have been enough? I mean, to see a whole sea split. How many know you don't just see that every day? But see, even but what, that, what that shows me, that shows you the fallacy of man. That you can visually see something like that, and days later, you're complaining about the same God that did that. Here they are. Later on down the road, you know, in the in desiring to go back to Egypt in the book of Numbers, starting at chapter 11, 3 through 5. And it says, in the mixed multitude that was uh, among them fell lusting in the children of Israel who wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? Uh, we remember the fish uh, we did eat in Egypt freely, uh, the cucumbers uh, and the millets and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. Here they are, they're grumbling to Moses about the hard life that he had brought them to in the desert, so to speak. 
But you know what's key in this scripture is this church. Notice that those in this text that were designed to go back to Egypt, they never went back to Egypt physically, but they did so in their heart. And can I tell you, church, that's a picture of many of us. That yes, uh, you know, uh, you may not physically uh, just like them. They never went back to Egypt, uh, but you can go back to Egypt right here and right here. Again, they're talking, uh, you know, they're shouting out their heart's desires of where they want to go. We're not careful, church. We can go back to Egypt in our hearts. So you don't have to go back to a physical Egypt to go back to Egypt. You can go back to Egypt or right here in your heart. In other words, church, this is like the guy who say that he's born again yet. He remembers his life as an unbeliever, uh, the parties he used to attend, uh, the false pleasures that uh, alcohol would bring, the cigarettes, uh, and then begin to lust after those things again. He wishes that uh, he can incorporate those habits uh, into his new life in Christ. So this is what it means to go back to Egypt in our hearts. No. You don't have to, you know, step, how you know, you don't have to step out on your marriage physical, amen, to commit adultery. Did you know that? Read Matthew 5, 28 on your own time. And what I'm saying, church, is that we have to, the, the, the devil's very crafty, because uh, many times, well, well, you know, I just thought about it, pastor. I didn't, you know, I didn't actually do it, but you did it here. And you did it here because it's all, it's, it's, it's a pattern of thinking. See, the Israelites, they went back to Egypt in their heart. That's why we witness about them constantly complaining, constantly talking about, uh, you know, what was back there when they're supposed to be looking there. The Bible makes mention of instances in which God's people uh, went back in their hearts. Isaiah speaks to this in the 43rd chapter. He says, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. What he's saying is, that, listen, remember not the former things. Uh, remember not the things, uh, you know, uh, that had you bound. Uh, remember not those former things that, that I was displeased of. You know, but probably the most noted account of someone going back to the familiar in their hearts was Lot's wife. How do you know the story? The Bible says, here it is, uh, you know, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah has uh, been declared judgment to be destroyed. That sin in that city, God, you know, had had enough of him. And here he is, he's going to uh, uh, spare his nephew, uh, Lot, and his wife and his family. Um, the Bible gives them clear instructions, uh, get out of the city, uh, keep going. Uh, but he makes this command, he said, not to look back. And we know the story. Here it is, they have escaped. How many of they escaped judgment? And here it is. Lot's wife just had to get one more glance, and the Bible says that she turned into a pillar of salt. See, listen, for some of you in here, one glance is deadly. Just one. One glance is so deadly because that one glance for you, uh, I have you back in your Egypt. I have you back in your familiar you see, the reasoning, or at least my, uh, you know, perspective uh, of the why she looked back is because how many know back in Sodom and Gomorrah was her familiar? 
Back in Sodom, Gomorrah was her businesses, if you will, uh, her pleasures, uh, her old friends, uh, and all of these different things. And yes, she's walking away physically, uh, but her heart never left. Is that some of us this morning? Oh, you in church physically and praise God. But your mind's being entertained by Egypt. Being entertained by Egypt. You know, sometimes we, especially you know, when back in the heyday, you know, you know, we begin to, you know, you hear that ter terminology, drink your problems away, or you smoke your problems. We know the problem with that is that when you wake up from that high, them problems still looking over you. Your problems didn't go to sleep. You did. <laughs> you just high. You woke up. Oh, yeah, I'm feeling good, but it's still there, and it's wor actually worse. See, her looking back showed a love for Sodom and regret for its destruction. See, how I many know it's one thing to look back into our familiarity and reminisce on a few things with a clean heart? In other words, uh, perhaps how far God has brought you and you're praising God for that. How many have been there? Many times, you know, me and my wife, we would go back to Georgia and, you know, and, uh, you know, and we would visit family and we would show our kids uh, the high schools and different dynamics of the city and various different things. And, you know, as much as I like going home, uh, there's an eerie feeling that comes on me um, every now and then to where it's like, man, I just want to get out of here. I want to get back. Not because I'm lured or tempted, it's just the stench of the city of like, man, that, that, that's what I used to do. That's where I used to be at. And we were often taught, man, you know, tell our children that God set us free, kids. And, you know, we used to be bound, we used to be over here, we used to hang around those friends in that section of the city, etc. Reminiscing with a clean heart, but then there's another thing, to have your heart turned to want to go back to those same things. See, if you desire something long enough, how many know eventually you'll entertain it? You stare at something long enough, no matter what it is, you will become captivated by it. How many know our sister Eve stared at that tree probably a little too long? Just a little bit. I like to think she walked past that tree a couple of times. Just the fact, like, man, why, why not that one? Many times, church, see, Satan wants to see if you and I still have that same acquired taste to go back to Egypt. Especially when there's times of vulnerability. Can you say amen? When things get really tough. It's not like something that uh, many of us that are born again and say that we just want to go there. No, no, no. Many times it's times of vulnerability. As I always say, when the arrow in life, so to speak, is pointing down. It is here where the enemy begins to speak, like, hey, you know, Egypt. When there's opportunities to compromise. See, don't think for one minute that your familiarity is so far back that you just can't return. How many of the familiar, your familiar, my familiar still lives close by? It's still around the corner. In other words, it still has the same address. It's there. Egypt ain't moved. It's there if you want it. It's there if you want to go back. Oh, beloved, listen, Satan. Uh, I mean, Satan is, a, is a, st a study of mankind. He watches what you and I have an appetite for. 
You know, every now and then the enemy will come and visit just to see is there still an appetite for the familiar. You know, like the Israelites, he still knows your choice of meat. Satan watches what you look at, church. Literally. Because he knows if your eyes are fixed upon it, uh, you know, especially if it's unhealthy, uh, he'll begin to dangle that thing in front of you over and over and over again. Satan watches uh, what you're being entertained by. Oh, yeah, you, you, you still like that? You, you want to go back there? No problem. I'll bring it a little closer. See, we have to stop giving life, church, to what's supposed to be dead. We need to stop uh, giving life to those areas, those old ways, those, you know, uh, whatever that situation is. Stop giving life to it. You see, going back to Egypt in your heart, how many know that grieves the Holy Spirit, church? No, there's many ways to grieve the Holy Ghost. How many know we can neglect holiness and grieve the Holy Spirit? The fact that we don't keep our eyes and our, and our minds are fixed on the things of God. Uh, as God said, be ye holy for I am holy. Uh, when we're not holy, uh, how many know we can't be holy back in Egypt? This is how we grieve the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Ghost when we think uh, in purely uh, about materialistic uh, uh, things uh, all the time. How I many know we can grieve the Holy Spirit when we're sitting down and we're reading that novel uh, that we read every day? Uh, nevertheless, there's a Bible that you haven't picked up in weeks or months. Am I talking to someone this morning? See, all of us, have an Egypt we can return back to. See, the temptation to go back to the familiar is a real thing this morning. You see, the direction of the familiar, how I many know it's opposite direction of where God wants you to go? In our text, God wanted them to go to the land of Canaan, the land that flowed with milk and honey, uh, but they'd rather return uh, to the land uh, that flowed uh, with whips and chains. When you put it in terms like that, uh, they, 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 they did a bow face from the land of milk and honey to the land of whip and chains. Let me ask you a question, church. Are you running away in the wrong direction back to your Egypt? Are you running opposite of where God wants to lead you and I? If you are, church, I tell you with a sincere heart, uh, there's nothing back there, church. Which leads me to my second point. I want to look at there's nothing good in Egypt. How many believe that? That there's absolutely nothing good in your Egypt. And listen, when I'm talking about Egypt, I'm not just saying just the past in general. I'm just talking about the, the unhealthy life that we lived as sinners. There's nothing good about it. See, Egypt this morning represents bondage. Therefore, there's nothing good in Egypt. There's nothing good about bondage. Egypt stands for the world, the flesh, and the chains that the devil had on us when we lived back there, church. You know, again, for those that are saved this morning, this is a place that we are all too familiar with. This was a place uh, where we were a slave to sin. Romans 6.20 says, for when you were slaves of sin, uh, you were free in, in, in regard uh, to righteousness. For those desiring to be saved, 
For you, again, as I said earlier, maybe perhaps you never left Egypt. See, no matter whether we are tempted to go back to Egypt, perhaps you never left, it's never better to go or to stay in that place, church. Verse 3. And the children of Israel said, Oh, Lord, that we may have died in the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and ate bread in full. You know, it's amazing. You know, they, here they are. They're talking about, um, the, you know, the, 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 the best food that they had. And, oh, we had the fish. We had this. Um, but you know something else, church? I begin to think about, you know, uh, with that being said, I believe that, uh, you know, the Israelites suffered from a bad case of what I call selective memory. They had a bad case of selective memory. It's funny how they remembered, uh, you know, the meat and et cetera. But they, you know, they, they, they must have had amnesia about the whips and the chains. Oh, give me the garlic, but you was getting beat while you was eating. The long days, uh, you know, you think, you know, think we get hot in the summer. This is Egypt in the desert. Their homes didn't have AC after they finished working. And here they are with this selective mem uh, memory church. Oh, let us, that's not be us, church. Let us not be befooled to have selective memory and forget how lost we were in Egypt. Let us not forget the state of mind uh, that we were in. Come on, somebody. Let us not forget uh, that you and I were hell bound. I, I, sometimes I think, do we, do we really think about that? You, that's why I said, you know, there's the icebreaker this morning. Like, hell is hot. We were on our way there. Consider this when you're tempted to go back to Egypt. There's nothing back there, church. Listen, church, no matter how bad you think you have it in life now, nothing is worse than being bondage in your sin, being a slave, being captive by those things that have us bound. I know it saddens me on how people throw the talent on their salvation all because of what they're going through in life. And see, the deception is that for some people, it translates to them that going back to Egypt is somehow better. That is somehow good or, you know, uh, uh, whatever the case may be. And I know this is where the enemy comes in and tells lies. How many know one of the many lies uh, that the enemy would tell, and indeed he has a bunch of them. But one of those lies is that it's somehow that life um, back as you know it in the world was good. How many know the Israelites, again, they had amnesia. They forgot about uh, everything else. You know, many of us were bound in our own whips and chains, weren't we? Truth be told, uh, church, we were jacked up. I know I was. I speak for myself. I'm like Paul. I'm the chief among sinners. Jacked up from the flow up. I mean, I was so jacked up, I didn't have normal things right. Not only was I a sinner, I, I, mean, I, I mean, stuff like I ain't leave, y'all probably heard, I ain't leave home until I was 24. Should have been out seven years ago. Didn't get my license until I was 27, and then I was saved then. That's why I say I was really being saved then. My wife, you know, she's taking me to the DMV like a little, like I was her son. Yeah, baby, it's time to get the license. <laughs> I'm like, okay. I'm tired of riding dirty. 
Like I say, sin I was on my way to hell. But you know, sometimes, even when you was in your heyday, you had some sense. Like you had some practical stuff going for you. I didn't have that neither. Like I was like double trouble on the way to hell and still was jacked up. 27, just got my license. By the time I was 20, I had been hired and fired by every fast food restaurant except Arby's. I worked at Wendy's. I worked at KFC. I worked at, they all, I mean, within a year. Bad, man. Priorities jacked up, bro. I mean, like I said, just, you know, maybe it was, just, you know, I, I was the only child. I didn't have any siblings to talk to that much. You got to forgive me. You know, I was one of them kids, you know. Party, uh, you know, uh, from sun up to sundown. I mean, I would go to the club and, didn't ha and knowing I didn't have no money, but I was going to get in. Determined to jump the fence in my clothes, starch down and all. It's like, man, you must have, you jump that gate again. Like, yeah, don't mind your business, bro. I'm a business. Just messed up. But you know, on a serious note, some of us were downright depressed, suicidal, couldn't make right decisions to save our lives. Always trying to con our way through life to get over. There's nothing good in Egypt, church. Nothing good in Egypt. Oh, I used to make quick money. Uh, you know, yeah, but you had to hustle to get it. You rob people for crying out loud. You know, I've been watching these documentaries sometimes, man. These, it's, it's just their, their minds. I don't understand how they think. You know, these, these kingpins. And these, you know, they didn't, you know and it's, it's, it's crazy how these documentaries, how they respond to these people that sold dope to people as businessmen and entrepreneurs. I'm like, yo, how do you even give them the title? Yeah, he was such an entrepreneur and he sold uh, 10, uh, you know, uh, bricks uh, a week. He was kingpin of the USA. I'm like, yo, how, how, do, how do we get these entitlements? I tell you, church, because we have an enemy. We have an enemy that lies. He twists things up. Uh, you know, and again, even just the fact that they would make these people a uh, businessman, etc., shows the mindset uh, of how really lost we were in Egypt. So don't let the devil lie to you that it was better back then, church. We look at family and friends sometimes. We look like uh, they got it going on. They're living their best life, but yet they don't have Jesus. Let me give you some breaking news, church. No one uh, that is uh, on their way to hell does not have it going on. They don't. And see, the familiarity of Egypt oftentimes uh, will attempt to make you feel like you're missing out on something. Like you're, like you're missing out on something. You know, I remember when Facebook first came out, I, if I'm staying correct, I believe it was 2006. I had opened up my account uh, and back in 2007. I think I had it for like two and, and, and deleted the account officially in 2009. And I don't know if they still have this feature, but I remember when I was trying to get off Facebook and, you know, Trying to delete my account was like really, really hard. They make they know what they're doing, man. And I'm trying, I'm like, I see, okay, the log out part, this and that. 
I'm going through. Say, I cannot find it. I had to look it up. I finally find it, and it's like, yo, deactivate the account. Um, you know, I'm like, ooh, I'm like, good, hit the button. I did it. It's still there. Well, you know what they did? They started showing pictures of my friends on Facebook, and the title said, they're going to miss you. I'm like, ain't this about something? <laughs> I went through an hour to delete, and now I got to keep hitting the forward button or whatever, you know, because, it, you know, it, as you're trying to delete it, keep it short, it don't want you to go. It don't want you to go. It's like such and such going to miss you, and it's, you know, that friend, that buddy of yours, you know, or whatever. They, they didn't, you know. But I thought about something. Like, that's the enemy. That he'll try to make it seem like you, you know, you know, and you're going to miss this. Listen, church, I would rather be with nothing and miss everything and still keep my salvation. Can you say amen? Mark 8, 36 through 37 says, What does it profit for a man to gain the whole world or forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul, church? How many know that's nothing, church? Again, there's nothing worth going back to Egypt. Lastly, I want to look at leaving the familiar to get to the promised land. Leaving the familiar to get to the promised land. You know, God's plan of leading his people to the promised land started with someone that was willing to leave their familiar. Genesis 12, 1 through 5, and the Bible says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make uh, your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, uh, and I will curse him uh, who curses you. And you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Then Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. How many are walking into your promised land, church, that God start, uh, has for us starts with the willingness to simply leave your familiar? How many know uh, everything that we're reading about now, generations of, uh, wouldn't have happened if a man was not willing to leave behind the familiar? Again, the Bible says that Abram uh, was from, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the land of the Chaldeans. These people at that time, uh, you know, they, they worshiped what they call a moon god. All type of foreign idols, various different things uh, in that land. And here it is. God speaks to Abram. Uh, Abram responds by faith. Uh, he gathers up his family's possessions uh, and begin to go uh, in search and route uh, to a land that he'd never been to. But trusted God. But listen, that first started with him willing to leave the familiar. And listen, church, that's, that, that's the same principle here and I. How many know everyone that is saved in here, when God spoke to you, when God touched you, when that person witnessed to you, uh, those days after that initial prayer, you begin to think about all the things that I'm about to put behind. And can I tell you, church, that can't stop. You have to continue, amen. Listen, living for God is a decision you make every day. Every day. Just like the one that people make when they want to return. It's a decision. The Abraham descendants wouldn't have, have been able to inherit any promise 
if Abram himself wasn't unwilling, was unwilling to leave the familiar. Abram walked away through all, for all that he knew. See, much like our old life, uh, we too have to walk away and continue to walk away if we're going to get to our promised land. Can you say amen, church? With that said, church, how many know we can't, uh, we, we, we can't leave any doors open to our past? Can you say amen? How many know uh, if things in your familiar in your past uh, didn't bring uh, uh, glory to God? How many know those doors have to remain shut? They have to be shut. No matter what it is, this can be uh, marriage failures. Uh, this can be uh, decisions, uh, you know, that you've learned from. Whatever the case may be, uh, you know, uh, how many know if we're going to move forward, uh, you know, into that promised land, uh, we have to shut all doors. That didn't do us no good. How many know that, shirt, that, that, that door had to be shut all the way, not cracked? You know, in the South. I'm from in Georgia, you know, screen doors and doors locking and doors shutting is a big thing. My grandma, had, my grandma had two rules back in the day about that door. You would get whooped over that door. And that thing is that that screen door, you know, everybody in the South got screen doors. You got that hard door, you got that screen door. She didn't mind that hard door open, but that screen door had to be locked. All times, church. I mean, and then when that door, other door was shut, it had to be shut all the way and locked. I mean, no, that's the only way ain't nothing going to get in. You know, back there, I mean, insects and different things or whatever. Like, you better shut that door. She's like smoking, like, you know, on Friday. Air conditioning on the whole neighborhood. Run up my electric bill. That door need to be shut. How I many know that closing the door to that old life, amen, we have to do as well, church. That it has to be all the way shut, church. Because if we don't, how many know this is where things begin to enter? Whether it's our, our life or even our mind. That's why Paul says in uh, Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 10, advice is casting down imaginations of every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Listen, this is speaking about, listen, how many know sometimes, church, uh, those are fiery darts from hell come fast, quick, and unaware right here. You got that split second then, especially when the enemy begins to catch us in those areas of vulnerability to get us to look back at Egypt. How many know we have to cast it down then? Not only are walking into our promised land come from us leaving the familiar, but how many know if we're going to walk into our promised land, it's going to require obedience. Can you say amen? Verse 4 and 5 in our text, as we wind down, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. The Bible says that they had to gather a certain quota every day. God had promised to send bread from heaven, but he didn't promise to just drop it in their mouths. They still had to go out and gather what they needed every day. And the Bible said it was a test to them. See, the blessing of bread from heaven uh, came with the responsibility of obedience. Can you say amen? And so is our interest into the promised land that God has for us. Um, it has to and will have to come through you and I being obedient. 
How many know when you're obedient to the word of God, uh, when you're obedient, amen, uh, to what God says about how we are to be uh, as Christians? Uh, how many know uh, that that prevents us, uh, you know, uh, uh, from wanting to look back or go back? Listen, anything we're, we are going to ultimately obtain from God has to be through obedience. In other words, we can't hold on to Egypt um, and hold on to the promised land. At the same time, I was talking to a uh, uh, brother, Danny, right before service. And he was telling me about a story, uh, you know, when he was involved in gains. And he said he had got out of that old life uh, of game banging, et cetera. But he said, uh, you know, that these game bangers uh, uh, wanted to, you know, uh, uh, were still trying to come after him because he owed them something. He said, I didn't even know that I even owed them any money no more. I had left that old life. Uh, but, he, but he began to make this statement. He said, Pastor, that's the picture of the devil. That when you're still holding on to things. In other words, that enemy that feels like you, like you still owe him something. Uh, and it is here uh, where he begins to feel like he can just continue to come after you because you're still holding on to something that he knows that you still look at, that you're still entertained by. Let me know from walking, walking into our promised land requires a consistent of us trusting God through the journey. Can you say amen? You know, this generation never did make it to that promised land that I'm talking about. And they did not make it into the promised land for this very reason. How many know uh, the next generation of Joshua and Caleb, they understood this principle? And it was this generation through Joshua and Caleb who go, you know the story, uh, into the new land of Canaan, uh, of uh, milk and honey. It is here uh, where they begin to trust God with what he said. And it was able to cross into the promised land. Church, that's the same for us this morning. That if we're going to go and be where God has called us, how many know this is a trusting process, church? There's a trusting process. See, there's nothing worth going back to Egypt that we're missing out, to miss out on the promised land. See, this promised land that they were promised by God was a land that flowed with milk and honey. The land of milk and honey was a poetic description of Israel's land that emphasized the fertility of the soil and the bounty that awaited God's chosen people. The reference to milk suggests that the many livestock could find pasture there. The mention of honey suggests the vast farmland available. And see, as good as the promised land was for Israel, we as those that press and refuse to go back. How many know we await a promised land that's even greater? And that's heaven this morning, church. How many know that is our promised land, church? Can somebody say amen? How many know uh, that heaven is every believer's promised land that stays the course? Uh, John 14, 2 through 3 says, In my Father's house um, I have many mansions. Um, if it were not so, I would have not told you. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. Uh, how many know that's personal? Even right there, you know, although it's for everyone, he didn't use the word everyone, he specified you. I mean, as you're reading this and now you're a child of God, uh, and listen, you've uh, laid down your life, amen, for Christ and given your life to Jesus. Uh, and as you're obedient to God, I mean, this is the promised land that awaits us, church. Revelation 21, 21 says, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each of the gates made of single pearl in the street of the city was pure gold, transparent like glass. I mean, you don't need no shoes in heaven. Barefoot. 
That's a whole nother sermon. I mean, just barefooted. That's a whole lot better than the dirt of Egypt. See, church, this is the promised land that you and I have. This is the promised land that God wants us to be familiar with for all eternity. This morning, would you keep your hand on the plow? Keep pushing, keep me, uh, going forward. Because Jesus says, uh, anyone holding on to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom. Can you say amen? Can I have every head bow, every eye closed in respect to your neighbor this morning? Oh, I feel God moving and tugging on hearts this morning. As these very words left my mouth in regards to this subject of leaving your Egypt behind. And you're here this morning. You're under the sound of my voice. You say, preacher, as you stated uh, this morning, I, I never left my Egypt. Always wanted to go, always wanted to do right, always, you know, uh, just, you know, been wanting to go to church. and uh, But I have not left my Egypt. I'm still in my sin as we speak. I'm still in my sin. Oh, beloved, but there's a greater day. There's a greater day at hand, and listen, that greater day uh, is the day that you begin uh, to surrender your life to Jesus. If you will confess before God, say, God, that's me. I'm a sinner that's still in Egypt. Oh, but as Moses set, as God used Moses to set his people free as they crossed over the sea to deliverance. You said, I want that for myself. And if that is you, you're ready to walk through the sea this morning. You're ready to walk to the other side. I encourage you this morning with no one looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed in respect to your neighbor. You said, I want deliverance. I want to be free from my Egypt. Once and for all, that's you. I want you to raise your hand real quickly. Raise it up. Put it up so I can see it. I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else? Hands are going up. So I'm ready to leave Egypt once and for all, never to return. There's nothing good there, Pastor. I know it. Some of you didn't even need to hear this sermon to, and not to know that your Egypt, that, that place where you're at, is, is not good. But God reminded you this morning. Anyone else want to join these honest hearts? You're ready to leave your Egypt. You're ready to leave the familiar. Anyone else? changing the order of service, maybe at one point you have left, as I've spoken about that. You crossed over to that promised land. You crossed over to that land of milk and honey, if you will. God saved you. He set you free. Delivered of your operating, moving in the things of God. But like the Israelites, things begin to come in your mind and heart. Doors was not shut. And you begin to look back. Staring at the same things that God set you free from. But this morning, oh, beloved, listen, God is a forgiver. God is a God of second chances. And if that's you, you say, yeah, pastor, I'll look back. But I want to look back in the other direction again. I want to look towards the promised land. I want to get my heart right with Jesus. If that's you, 
been looking back for a while, but it's time to get back on the straight and narrow. If that's you, you want to come back to God, raise your hand quickly. Want to come back, want to rededicate your life back to Jesus. Raise your hand. I see that hand. Hallelujah. Praise God. Anyone else want to join these honest hearts? Those stuck in Egypt, those that have been looking back, God can help you. Anyone else? Hallelujah. Amen. Do one more thing. If you raise your hand, I want you to look at me. Amen. You meant that. You meant that in the back. Come on down. Someone's going to pray with you. Hallelujah. Praise God. Oh, cross that sea again. I need someone to pray uh, with our sisters. Amen. Our brother here. Hallelujah, God. We thank you, God. Anyone else while the others are praying? Praise God. To the church. Oh, stay on this side of the sea, church. Stay on the side of deliverance where God set you free from. And let's walk towards our promised land. Hallelujah. God, we thank you, God. Yes, God, you're worthy, God. Yes, God. Oh, God, you are worthy, God. Yes, God, help us, God. Hallelujah. Oh, church, let's stand all over this place. While others are playing, come down. Come down.